Welcome to the Asian Digital Supermovers interview series on Clubhouse, where we speak to experts, founders, and investors about the Asian digital economy and ecosystem every week. Monica, Mushir, and I, Pratish, invite guests for a conversation about building, scaling, and operating businesses in Asia. Follow our club on Twitter. Our handle is AD Supermovers for providing us any feedback and staying updated on interview series guests and topics so welcome everybody who thanks for joining the asian digital supermovers club we are three co-founders who have set up this club talking to as we call og asian experts founders and investors and every week we bring in excellent individuals such as pramath for amas on different topics about the asian digital ecosystem so we have Monica, Mushir, and me who does who do three different AMAs. Monica looks at everything on building for Asia, which is product. Mushir looks at fintech and DeFi for Asia, and I look at growth and scaling. And uh, all the sessions that we hold obviously are on the club page, so you can click on the greenhouse icon, follow the club, as well as sign up for all the sessions or the different AMAs that you are going to have in the future. Also, at the same time. I would request all of you to follow the moderators as well as Pramath. Uh, if you're interested in the topic at the same time, you would be notified when we come on to contribute to different rooms and you can also come on and contribute as well. So that's the introduction to the club. Before we kick this off, please be aware that this is being recorded and this will be distributed through our podcast ecosystem as well. So Pramath, I think you are definitely a very known figure in the Indian ecosystem and global education ecosystem. But I think there are a number of things that you have done in your 30 years of experience. Your journey started from IIT, and now you are building a very interesting startup, Harappa Education, which we will talk about in detail at a later stage. But between IIT and Harappa, you have you did engineering, you did PhD, you were at McKinsey, then you became the GM and CEO of ABP, then you founded 9.9, then ISB. Then you did something as uh, Vedic Scholars, then Naropa, Ashoka, and now. So how has this journey been? That's the most difficult question to ask somebody because I could go on and on. Uh, No, I feel very grateful to be able to share this with all of you today. But mostly that how many of us are lucky to be living in a time and space and a country like India where you can actually build institutions from scratch in education that will actually outlast you. And I think that has been the most exciting discovery of this journey. When I was growing up, I never imagined that I would be doing what I do. But I think we have in India unprecedented opportunity to contribute to fundamentally changing the course of education in the world. And we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. So for me, this journey has really revealed that and almost a responsibility that all of us who are educated. uh, and, And I think it's a huge privilege that we have in India gotten the education that we did get, good, bad, indifferent. And given that so many people in our country actually don't have that privilege, any one of us who's here on this call almost has an obligation to educate in some small way, the rest of humanity that isn't getting the privilege that we had. And that's been my big discovery on this journey. I didn't start out like that. 
but because of a stroke of luck and several twists and turns that my career took i think i've been very privileged to have discovered that and be contributed to that i can take you through the blow by blow of my journey but i think it will be better if i did that in the context of the other questions that you might have for me because each step of the journey has been a real education for me personally but has also informed uh, what i have done in education uh, later on in my life i'm done for now thank you i know that you pursued phd and that was something as a passion but you then landed up uh, going to mckinsey and isb was to be as i understand a business school for the iits and was a project with mckinsey but then it stood out to be an individual program where you became a founding dean and there's a story behind that as well as i understand that there were two deans who identified and it so happened that you had the opportunity to be building that so before we get into the story of you building isb when we talk about education what are you solving for in education and whom are you solving it for so when i'm uh, looking at education today and i didn't have this realization the years that i've always been in education it's only something that dawned on me the last few years that ultimately we are solving for the last student uh, i think every young person deserves a high quality education so what you are really solving for is for every young person in this country and i will keep talking about this country because it's a big big enough challenge in this geography so you are really solving for the last person and you are solving for bringing the best quality education to that last person for a long time education has been naturally tiered that some people get really high quality some people get average quality and some people get basic or just enough that can get them by and i think that's the notion that we have to challenge and particularly given what's happened to education today and we'll talk more about that later with the use of technology and so on i think it is possible to bring the very best to every last student every last learner and i think that's really what uh, i'm trying to solve for and all of us are trying to solve for it it should be trying to solve for i don't it may not be apparent in looking at the set of somewhat elite institutions that i am associated with today but ultimately the learning from that is to really take all of that education which seems elite today to even the last student i'm done for now thank you so i think your education journey actually started with isb so how did that come about and what made you think that it is an idea whose time has come and that's the book also on isb that you have written and also i think a conviction that a one year program can become a world class program ranked uh, in the top 2025 in the world how did that happen how did that journey happen and what convinced you that a one year program against a two year program that usual mbas have within india or even outside would make that impact so pratisha the just a little bit of history to that question interestingly isb was not the first education project that i got involved with and a lot of people don't know about this which is not uh, anybody's fault but i 
was involved in setting up a new university in Malaysia as part of a McKinsey project that I was doing for the Malaysian government and actually working with Prime Minister Mahathir, who is, of course, evergreen. He's come back and become the prime minister again uh, in his 90s. And as part of that project, I was the man on the ground, if you will, who created a plan for what is now called Multimedia University outside of Kuala Lumpur in the area that was also being built at that time called Cyberjaya. I was a very naive and a novice, if you will say, <laughs> a strategic thinker at that time. And so I... The, the obvious idea that we worked with was to put together a bunch of existing colleges that were already there in Malaysia and aggregate them into a university. The idea at that time was to actually try and replicate the success of India in the IT and IT-enabled services sector. And one of the big gaps we found in Malaysia was the lack of talent that was trained in computers and IT, and that was the purpose of setting, setting that university, which has done well. It's now an 8,000 student enrollment university and is doing reasonably well. However, having done that, I realized both the potential of what was possible and the mistakes I had made. The potential I realized was tremendous. The supply-demand mismatch in this part of the world is a dream for any entrepreneur or institution builder. And you are seeing that in the crazy valuations that are, are there in the market today. But valuations aside, there couldn't be a sector where there is such a unending, almost infinite demand, high quality education. And that was something that hit me very hard. I, I hadn't realized how pent up and how underserved education and high quality education was in this part of the world and particularly in our country. And remember, ISB's journey started now 25 years ago. The second thing I realized, though, was that while there was demand, everything was very poor quality. There were new universities people were building with great promise, but they were not able to break through. And there was a reason for that. And that was that we were all trying to build universities by saying what can be done. And because of all the constraints, which again, I can talk about later, you ended up saying, okay, let's build a tier two or a tier three institution because that's easy to do. And then maybe over time, we'll raise the bar and make it a tier one institution. And I realized that, that was never going to happen because the more I studied institutions around the world, I realized that if you start at tier two or a tier three, you remain that for decades. And if you really wanted to, in a way, turn around or raise the bar, it would take a lifetime. Just to give you an example, the Kellogg School of Management, and I was very fortunate to be mentored by the dean then, Don Jacobs, who was an icon. Don took over Kellogg when most people thought Kellogg in the U.S. was just the conflicts brand and never identified it with her School of Management. And it took Don 25 years to take Kellogg from a nondescript school to a number two, number three school in the U.S. You can't take institutions up overnight. And there's a reason for that, which I can talk about later. So this was the next realization, which feeds into this part of your question. That if you're going to start ISB at a tier two or a tier three, that you'll become tier one one day, ain't going to happen in my lifetime. And then finally, thanks to doing Malaysia and seeing what was possible and, and, and where the pitfalls were, 
I was convinced, and I have to say a word uh, about Rajat Gupta here, who gave me the confidence that we could build an institution that was world class and high quality from day one. And that's what you needed to do, because by definition, you would never get to world class if you started less than world class. And that confidence and that courage is what I think led to the success of ISB and hopefully now Ashoka as well. I'm done. Thanks, Ramat. Monica, over to you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Pramad. This was wonderful hearing you. But before we proceed ahead, because we have a lot of new people joining in, I'll do a quick room reset. So thanks everyone for joining us with your Saturday evening chai and coffees. We are the Asian Digital Super Movers. If you haven't uh, uh, followed our club, please do that by clicking on the greenhouse icon at the top of your page. And when you do that, you'll be able to see all the club information as well as all the events that are coming up for us. We typically do events every Saturday, Sunday, uh, Tuesday, as well as certain weekdays. And we have a fully packed calendar for next week and a couple of exciting speakers, which we will talk about later. Also, do follow the moderators and, of course, Pramat, so that you can continue to hear such great conversations. And if this content interests you, then I'm sure that you would like to end up in the same as Pramat and, of course, the rest of the folks. Also, I see that there are a lot of party hats, which means that people are new to Clubhouse. So, welcome. I hope that you're having a good experience here. If you are new to Clubhouse, and uh, you wanted to come up on stage, all you would need to do is click on the hand raise icon, which is at the bottom right of your page, and then you can come up. Pratish will be opening up hand raise uh, after a while when he gives you an audio cue. At that time, we will start taking questions on stage and you can come up. Also, I wanted to thank each and every member of the community who has helped us grow to 6.5K followers already. Uh, almost and we are already getting a lot of referrals and uh, speaker recommendations from all of you we are available on twitter linkedin as well as on telegram so never miss a notification from us and we are very glad to have you as part of the community and listening in uh, to all the content that not only are we producing but you are recommending that we produce thank you so much and before i hand over the mic back to pratish pramath i have a question you may be a little bit of a bone to pick as well the reason is because i'm losing a lot of my uh, junior folks in the team to ISB and uh, the reason for this is that it has become such a premier institution that many people who didn't opt for an MBA earlier now feel that an MBA from ISB is actually going to add a lot to of value to their career which I completely endorse and in doing so as seasoned managers we are losing people to ISB which is great they become not only they take a lot of skills with them and they come out into completely different versions of themselves in a 12 month program I myself have known of people who have completely flowered into different personalities when they've reached there absolutely happy about the transformation and transition that the program carries and a world-class institution to be established but the question I have is that as MBAs uh, become more and more expensive at the same time creating a class infrastructure takes a lot uh, from both students as well as parents who are not able to afford education how do you really balance the affordability with the excellence that education is supposed to be, uh, especially in a uh, value-conscious society such as India? And what are your thoughts when you are actually uh, creating the frameworks that actually go into that go into production as in they start getting relayed on the ground and create the world-class institutions that we are now seeing? So, Monica, there are, that's a great question and it gets to the heart of the 
financial, economic business model that drives great institutions, not just universities. I think the amazing thing is that you can actually build very high quality institutions of world class in India for not a whole lot of money. I think ISB, Ashoka kind of institutions can be actually launched and made self-sustainable for $100, $150 million. Uh, and if you ask me the opportunity to create something that will be there for generations, that serves the young people in a country and is uh, accessible and affordable, which I'll come to in a minute, is remarkable. And I think that's the real disruption story that not many people understand. To your point, though, how do you provide a high-quality education, which is inherently expensive, and make it affordable? I think there are just two principles that you have to keep in mind. One is that the education has to be priced in a way that you can justify the ROI for the student. And I know that I'm using business terms in the context of education, but let's be honest. When a parent or a student invests in an ISB degree or an Ashoka degree, they somewhere do want to see whether this is going to give them some tangible outcome or not. And in the case of ISB, because it's an MBA, what's the salary they are going to earn at the end of their one-year program? In the case of an undergrad degree, there are folks who are looking at a job at the end of it. There are folks who are looking at a uh, a, a higher education opportunity at the end of it, perhaps getting a scholarship uh, to go study somewhere. And so there are some very tangible outcomes that people weigh. There may be a scientific and sometimes a intangible way of measuring that, but they are. So you have to find the pricing for your program because it is a product or a service that you're selling that matches with roughly with the return people are going to get. And it has to be as close to one is to one as possible. It can be a two is to one sometimes in terms of two cost and one return so that you earn it over a period of time. But I think it has to be in the same order of magnitude. It can't be completely out of whack. That's number one. Number two, despite ensuring that, the truth is that somebody has to be able to pay the money uh, to get the education because the return comes later. Now, there you have to focus on what are the different ways that a student can fund it, fund the education without them being overly burdened, their parents being overly burdened. And that's where scholarships and student loans come in. So, for example, in an MBA degree, the dynamic is very different. In an MBA degree, the truth is that for 20 years now, we've arranged a collateral fee loan to our students. And in 20 years, there hasn't been a single default, not a single default. In fact, banks line up to give loans to our students because they make huge profits and certain profits because there is no default, which are already priced into their interest rates. Now, you may say, listen, this is a huge burden for a student to take. But the track record suggests that even if you come from a poor family and even if you are taking a 30 lakh loan, after for an ISB degree, you'll be able to pay it off. At least that's what the track record suggests. And because of the high quality of those uh, of the loan outcomes, banks are willing to give that collateral free so you don't have to burden your parents and so on. So there's some risk, but that works there. In the case of Ashoka, 
it's harder to prove that model for a young 18 year old ultimately the parents have to take on the loan and taking on the loan can still be onerous because they may already have loans and they may already be stretched their scholarships become very handy and that's why we work extra hard to raise philanthropic capital uh, csr money and by the way this is a proven model in some of the top universities around the world that you hit up people who are rich and shame them into giving money to educate people who need it the most and this was part of the privilege and the responsibility i talked about earlier also the way you price the program factors in a certain amount of money that is earned from a full fee that is directed towards scholarship so that you ultimately do not turn anybody away if they cannot fund the education if you plan these two things well from the beginning then you can provide a high quality education that may be high cost and seemingly inaccessible but make it affordable through smart loans and through scholarships raised through philanthropic capital of course these days you have new models like the income sharing agreements and so on that are coming into skilling isas and that's another innovative way that people are coming up for funding high quality education so i hope i've been able to give you a picture of how you manage those two things and i'm done absolutely pramath and i like i said i totally endorse the quality of the students as well as the learning and the transformation that they undergo i am personally a big fan i have seen it for myself and for all the people who have now left my company and going to isp this year i not only wish them well i almost am certain that they are going to be very huge successes so kudos to isp and all the education that they are getting thank you thank you for providing us such great talent and hopefully some of them will go back to you monica and add value as well <laughs> thank you prama that's why i started off saying i have a small bone to pick with you because now i have to train them so <laughs> thanks monica thanks prama i think continuing forward prama you mentioned uh, ashoka and that is definitely a very successful and a recent case in point in the education ecosystem especially in a market like india why did you choose or you thought liberal arts is the space to focus on and build a university like ashoka pritish i am convinced that at the undergraduate level if you look at where the world is going if you look at all the lovely trends that people talk about which i don't want to bore people with the future of work industry 4.0 or 5.0 or whatever version we are on lifelong learning people having multiple careers careers getting disrupted because of technological shifts and so on and so forth right you pick all of these trends the truth of the matter is you cannot predict what the job of the future will look like at most you can predict what the current flavor of the month is you can predict that today digital business data analytics data science ai ml other big things but if i give the example of one of my students that i am close to who works in uber eats in london now who would have thought that there would be a job where you would use a ride hailing service to deliver food from restaurants to Londoners in a certain period of time so that food arrives fresh and use the same ride hailing service to provide raw material and ingredients to 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 restaurants that are part of your uh, neighborhood and make money that way 
right now what training what education what uh, learning and skills do you build for this person so my thesis is and that's also the thesis behind harappa that you need a certain set of foundational core skills in how you think and how you problem solve and how you communicate and how do you work with people and how do you deal with ambiguity and change and problems that have no answers which is true about everything that's happening in our world today how do you deal with disruptions that we are going through i think if you look at what has happened in the pandemic and how people have come together to help each other what skill did we need there other than to say listen we've got to jump in and help each other out and cut out all the noise and the fake news and so on now you look at the underlying skills here this can only be delivered by a liberal education it cannot be delivered by a professional education at the undergraduate level if you are just doing law or if you are doing engineering that i did or if you are just studying i don't know chartered accountancy or medicine you just don't develop the broad perspective that you need to live in this world of the future i am not against specialization by the way in fact one could specialize in all of these areas and do a liberal education the liberal education doesn't reject specialization all it says is you specialize but you specialize in the full knowledge that specialization may not be your specialization for life tomorrow if you have to specialize in something new you are able to do that but alongside your specialization you also get a holistic education which gives you breadth which gives you perspectives and which gives you these skills that will take you through any career or any challenge or any job and that is what a liberal education does and i think it's required for everyone in today's day and age all young people need to get a liberal education at their undergraduate level they can also specialize in an area and if they want to super specialize they should do that at their masters that's been the underlying philosophy behind building ashoka i am done thank you mushir over to you sorry the cardinal sin of uh, being on mute and figuring it out uh, thank you so much uh, pramod so much uh, you know it's been a lot of insights so far i have a question which is probably related to the progression we have seen in terms of tertiary education and as we go on to post post graduate degrees in the 650s 60s it was about in, in if we look at the west it was about getting a high school degree in india it was about getting a diploma then it graduated to getting a degree then it became specialized engineering or jo bhi hai and then we moved on to talking about mbas right where does that end if at all in terms of minimum qualifications are we changing the way things are going so like and our education institutions also changing the way they are approaching education not just from a sense of higher qualification from a technical perspective but are there more things that can be brought in to make people competitive in the in today's world here so mushir that's a great question it gets to the heart of what education always was and what education is going through right now and to my mind going back to where it was so if you really think about ancient rome and you know ancient times when our education systems were first created 
K-12, as we call it now, or school education, was really about helping young people understand what they really needed to know about how the world worked. So, for example, the fact that the Earth rotates on an axis, and that's why you have day and night, or that it revolves around the sun, and therefore you get the seasons or that there is gravity, or that if you put hydrogen and oxygen together, then you get water, and if water is below minus 4 degrees centigrade or whatever, then it freezes, and so on. So it's really facts and science and things that you need to do to just function and be a complete human being in the world. Alongside, of course, there was development of other kinds that human beings had at because you're going through your childhooders. People who went to college didn't go to college to get a job or to train themselves in professions. In fact, if you wanted to train yourself in a profession, you joined that profession right after school and you apprenticed. So if you wanted to be a blacksmith, you went and worked with a blacksmith. You didn't go to school to learn blacksmithry. If you wanted to be a carpenter, that's what you did. In fact, if you did not want to join these somewhat siloed professions and you were evolved or elite or rich enough to think about the world or to write or to debate or to discover, to invent, then you went to college. And college was not about teaching you something that was required. College was a space to challenge you, to open your mind, to help you discover yourself and discover what all you could do, discover your purpose, discover what are the challenges that you are most intrigued by so that you could engage in them and solve for them and advance our understanding of the world. And that's how philosophy, the question of who we are, was born. And people investigated religion and, and medicine and so on. It was not about professions. Now you fast forward to where we are today, We've made it only about professions. It's, hey, if you need computer scientists, you need to go through a four-year degree to get a computer science software job. The truth is, my first job was actually at a company called Tata Burroughs Limited, which is today's TCS, in 1986. And I got a metallurgical engineering degree from IIT Kanpur. But the reason I got the Tata Burroughs job was because I had got an A on the one programming course that all of us had to do at IIT Kanpur in those days. All I needed was really one course in computer science to get a job with Tata Burroughs. My metallurgy degree of four years were honestly quite wasted because I never worked in metallurgy unless you count the time when I helped with the turnaround of one of Bokaro Steel's air plants uh, when I was at McKinsey, for which I didn't really need to know metallurgy. My point being that actually you don't need a college education to do a lot of the stuff that we expect people to do. Now, you may challenge me by going into law and medicine and so on, and we can debate that or architecture. But the truth is that we are now going back to that time where people are saying, listen, you don't need to go to college to learn programming. And in fact, you can learn programming whenever you want in life. The world is going, and that's what's happening with all of this online education that you're seeing, is that people are saying you don't need a four-year degree. You don't need a three-year degree. In fact, you may need a six-month training program to upskill yourself 
in digital marketing or data analytics. You don't need to go to a university. Educational institutions are the slowest to change when the world and the market changes. So don't expect educational institutions to adjust to this very quickly. They are still caught in this three-year, four-year degree model. Though, if you look at even the top institutions of the world, they are very quickly moving into the certification space, and they've always been there and done that, but they are scaling that up quite rapidly. And if you see the new entrants, if you look at the disruptors in this space, whether you think of a Coursera or an edX or a upgrade or a simply learn in the space, then they are saying, listen, you don't need a formal degree. If you just do this course for six months or four months, you can learn this stuff. And by the way, this is what we do at Harappa. We've just launched a women's leadership program, which people are going to do online. And we just launched it a few weeks ago, and we are getting tremendous uptake from women around the world, interestingly, when it was really targeted to women here in India. So I think the market, employers, students, learners are already adopting this model. Educational institutions will take time to catch up because they are caught in an existing model, which is difficult to break out of. But I think they have realized and this will happen gradually over time. I'm done for now. Great. Thanks, Mushi. Thanks, Pramath. Before we proceed, a quick room reset, and I will also open hand raise. So if you have any questions, please raise your hand and we can bring you up as we have just crossed the 30 minute mark. Um, so going forward, so what we were talking about is Everybody who is just joining Asian Turtle Supermovers, as Monica, Mushir, and me are the three co-founders. We hold AMAs with excellent individuals as Pramath, Asian experts, founders, and venture capitalists and investors into the Asian economy on a weekly basis from across Asia as well as globally who are looking into Asia. So if you are not following the club, please do click on the green house icon on the top on the Asian Turtle Supermovers and you can follow the club. Please do follow the moderators as well as Pramath if you're interested in similar topics so that you can also come in and contribute in different rooms and we join them as well. So moving forward, Pramath, I think before we get into Harappa, which is a very interesting concept and I think it's the first time it's happening in India, I think there is something as the, the rule of three, which I'm assuming you have inherited from McKinsey and probably also runs into the understanding and the usage in logical and critical thinking that is being taught in the Harappa courses. So can you just throw some light on the rule of three and how you use it and how valuable they have been to you? <laughs> Pratish, you are taking my class, as they would say in colloquially. But let me try and answer that. You see, for the longest period uh, in history, people have usually bunched thing in threes and there's a there's an expression there's a name for it which uh, i'm I, is i'm blanking out on it's a latin term you've all heard of things like i came i saw i conquered right or sometimes people will repeat things they will say victory so same thing is threes is something that is pre-programmed into human beings and that's one reason to to sometimes say things that have three points or, or three things in succession and that leaves an impression but the main point i have always made about the threes is that it's a great way to build a logic 
for something. So if you think about it, if you give somebody one reason for a statement that you made or an assertion or an argument that you're making, they'll listen to you, but they'll say, yeah, but this sounds really opinionated because you're coming in with one reason and it could be this or that. And what about these five other reasons? Or this reason is not right. So people can shoot you down very easily if you can't defend that one reason. Now, you could obviously do better than that. You can come up with two reasons. If you have two reasons, then sometimes you can, of course, do better than one, but it still doesn't stick. And suppose one reason doesn't work, then your argument becomes that much weaker. Sometimes, you know, one reason might not gel with the other reason. So people would say, but you just said this and you're not, this other reason doesn't make sense because you gave this other reason and they are in opposition or in contradiction. But now if you give three reasons, then it's almost three points connect to make a line. So somewhere in your brain, because you are used to these three things, you remember the logic, you remember the sequence. It becomes a story. And most stories have that. They have a beginning, a middle and the end. So again, the three things in a story, you remember the three reasons. So this is a trick that I learned, yes, at McKinsey, that if you're building an argument, it's always good to back it up with three reasons. Now, the question is, what if you can't come up with three reasons? And if you have pressure that I have to come up with three reasons to back something, you can almost panic and not come up with anything. So what I've also learned over the years that it doesn't matter what those three reasons are. They, are, they could be the three reasons that come to your mind first. Uh, they don't have to be the most important or most significant. It's what you can think of on the spur of the moment. And if you do come up with these three reasons and you state it that way, then uh, this is a little bit pretentious to say. People think that, oh, wow, you know, Pramath has really thought this thing through. He really has good ideas or he's making a very strong argument. But what they don't realize is that you're just picking up three reasons from all the knowledge that you have. It, you, there may be three other good reasons or one other good reasons that you may have missed, but nobody misses what you missed. They remember the fact that you put those three reasons together. The last thing I will say about this is that it also works very good as a hack. As a hack, when you are put on the spot and asked to speak about something. Now, you may say, oh my God, I didn't prepare. I haven't thought about this. But if you just jot down, you're given a topic. Suppose somebody said, Oh, can you talk about the farmer agitation in Delhi? Now, you haven't followed the news. You don't know the A to B of the farmer ag agitation. But you can think about it and say, hmm, what are the three things that I would like to say about the farmer agitation? Doesn't matter if the experts say this or the politicians say this or the farmers would say it. But what would be my three reasons, knowing the little that I do about farmer? Agriculture is a big deal in India. And... Two, farmers have always been at the bottom end of the economy and in the way the country has progressed, you do read about the fact that agriculture has not grown slowly and has grown slowly and so on. And third, that, you know, whatever you do with farmers is always very sensitive. So while I don't know about it, but whatever has happened has really irked them. And I think with them, you have to engage. So you can come up with three reasons and put together a story and make a not a fool of yourself when you're asked to talk about it. And that's, again, where the three reasons help you. So uh, that's really the, uh, I think you heard, you must have heard about this on a video that I had done, which went viral. But I think that's the way I like to think about this. And the three reasons have often been there for me when I'm put on the spot. I'm done for now. Thank you. Yes, that's absolutely right. I went through a few interviews that you had done. And this was in one of those interviews. So thank you very much. I think this is very helpful for everybody who's listening in who, I think on a daily basis, we do come across such situations 
where we need to reason or give pointers for some of our conclusions, if I may, and why they are we have concluded in that you know, format. So it's a brilliant way of communication. So moving on, I think uh, before I give the floor to Sonal and Abhishek, I think the reason we have been following you and you have really made some amazing strides in the education space in bringing in new models of education. One was ISB, second was Ashoka, and they have been incredibly successful. And now it's Harappa, which again, I think very different. Something probably should have been taught in schools, but probably you are bringing in, throwing light on it so that we can start thinking on the five disciplines that Harappa teaches and the different segments below them. So can you throw some light? What is Harappa about? What can we learn from there and how we can actually utilize it in our day-to-day life? In a way, the culmination of everything I've learned in my professional career, in working with young people, in working with education, in education. One of the things that I found was that during my life, like you pointed out early on, I've made many significant shifts and changes in my career. I studied something, went on to study something else. I studied for being an academic and a engineer and I ended up going into the field of business. I didn't have an MBA, but I ended up building a business school. I never had a liberal arts education. I got to build a liberal arts university and so on and so forth. I've so often reflected on what allowed me to do those things and be able to make those shifts and achieve some success, if I can claim that. I've also watched other people and I've often taken bets on people and seen how they are able to very successfully make a career or make a shift and pivot into areas that they were completely unfamiliar with. They would have never imagined that they could actually be doing those things. And I've also seen how employers have been very frustrated with the talent coming into their companies and progressing through their companies where they feel that people are not adequately prepared, they are not able to cope, and as they grow more senior, they are not able to show leadership, and so on and so forth. And all of us have heard these stories, so it's not something that is hidden from us. So the question is, what is missing on one hand? And two, what are those skills that allow people to bridge that gap or to succeed and to do the seemingly unthinkable? In fact, my belief is that anyone can do anything. Truly, anyone can do anything. I'm not suggesting that anyone can do everything, but I'm not just being cute in saying what I'm saying. I truly believe that you can actually do anything. Of course, I can't go and become a race car driver or a neurosurgeon or an astronaut, but leaving out things that you absolutely are not able to do because of structural or something that you can't pick up at the age I am at, there are many things that one can do. What enables one to do anything? Now, what I have come to the conclusion is that those are those skills or those mindsets, those values, those beliefs, those behaviors that help you do that can be categorized into these five areas, which technically fall into the realm of what are called cognitive, to do with the way your brain functions, social, to do with how you relate to people, 
and behavioral skills to do with how you behave, your emotions, and how you uh, manage yourself as a person. Now, that's the technical definition of these skills. But to make it more tangible, my belief is that this, these skills categorize themselves into five major areas. And those major areas are how you think. As you all know, we spend so much time thinking. We are constantly thinking. You are thinking right now. I'm thinking right now. All the listeners are thinking right now. But nobody really says to us that, hey, there are ways to think, that you can actually learn these ways to think. You can actually become better at your thinking. So I think that's one big area that I'm trying to help people develop their thinking. Two, how do you solve problems? We are all trying to constantly solve problems. And of course, the work that Harappa does is very targeted at the workplace. So at the workplace, you get paid to solve problems. But is there a systematic, is there a way to solve problems? Nobody has ever taught us that. We've picked it up along the way and we each have our own way. Is there a way to do it? Can we help people become better problem solvers? I think you can. The third is an area that we all talk about a lot, which is communication skills. And whether it's listening or reading or writing or speaking, I think that can be learned. And again, we don't spend enough time teaching people that. The rule of three that you just walked me through. Why shouldn't it be taught to every kid while they're growing up so that they can incorporate that into their thinking and their speaking and their writing? Fourth, the ability to work with people. Notice that you have two other moderators and founders in your club. I'm sure sometimes you disagree about things. I'm sure that sometimes you give up on your point of view and defer it to the others. How do you manage to keep a collaboration going? How do you work with others? How do you deal with conflict? Nobody teaches us this. How do you give people feedback? How do you receive feedback? And then finally, the area of your personal awareness, your self-awareness, your growth, your development, and your own values, your own purpose and meaning and commitment and beliefs in life. How do you moderate and manage those? How do you become aware of what you're good at and not so good at? How do you deal with the stuff that you're not so good at? How do you deal with failures and mistakes? So these five areas, how to think, how to problem solve, how to communicate, how to collaborate, and how to lead, as in lead yourself, are the five areas or subjects, if you will, which we call thrive skills. These are the skills that make you thrive at your work, in your life, and enable anyone to do anything. And the final thing I'll say is that I wanted to be able to do this at high quality and at scale, which starts goes back to what we started off. What am I really solving for? I think every student of any background, of every socioeconomic background in the last village, in the last remote area of this country, needs to learn this as a fundamental skill and the only way you can do that and reach them is through technology. So that's why Harappa is an online learning institution and it focuses on these five Thrive skills. I'm done. Thank you, Pramad. And I recently figured Harappa out and I would definitely recommend everybody who's listening to this conversation to check it out if you haven't already. And uh, they are really the fundamental blocks of how we conduct ourselves personally, professionally, even if you're in your 
undergrad education or post education this is definitely something that will uh, help you in as pramod correctly mentioned in your cognitive process thinking wise as well as with in group thinking and individual thinking so moving forward i think there are a number of people who have raised their hand and we have them on stage so i'll hand over to monica to take it forward thank you so much pratish uh, we have sonal on stage yes monica hi, hi sonal uh, sorry i i was having a hard time trying to refresh and clubhouse has been acting up if you could please tell us a little bit about yourself and briefly ask your question Sure. Thank you so much. And uh, hey, Pratish, I'm Monica. Good evening, sir. A uh, very insightful listening to you. I am Sonal. I am a talent professional recruiter previously by profession. I am associated with one of the professional services firms uh, in the country. And by my role and nature of my work, I do work very actively in driving industry academia engagements and really working on what we need to do in terms of uh, impacting that future talent and really looking out what is it that our students need and going that one step beyond uh, just about giving them the recruitment support. uh that they require so my question to you sir is exactly around that you did mention that we are talking about a multi skilled environment we are talking about a multi career ecosystem that's where we are living today and on the same end as a lot of surveys prove we are dealing with a generation that is also looking for a multi role career so what and it's a vast question so i will uh, request you what is that one priority as per you in this changing environment that we are living today employers need to focus on to really support students so that's my question to you sir so the question just to make sure that i got it right and make sure that i address it mm-hmm. since you wanted me to keep it focused was what is the one thing that employers need to do uh, for talent uh, i think what that one thing is that young talent today that two types of folks that i find one group of folks truly think of work as just work that is there to feed their bank accounts and to make a living and they tend to pursue something else outside uh, that is truly something that is fulfilling meaningful purposeful and feeds their soul there are others who are at the workplace they are really committed they love their work but they are also constantly looking for meaning and purpose and something beyond the day to day from their work they want to be involved in a greater good or they want to feel they are part of something bigger i think that employers need to start thinking about their workplaces that way is how to get young people to really connect to what they would like to enjoy doing or where they find meaning and purpose now it's hard for employers to do that by the way it's not easy and uh, this is not traditionally something that employers tried to do but i think if you want to retain high quality talent and especially engage with millennials and gen x uh, that is coming i think employers will have to do that now 
In doing so, you may provide skilling or learning or job rotation opportunities or a great induction program or a flexible work environment, all of those. But I think the reason you are doing that is because I think young people are more than our earlier generations looking for that connect with something that is very deeply personal and fulfilling that goes beyond just doing a job. And I think if employers were to take that larger objective, then some of the initiatives that we typically look at about making the workplace better will then fall into that larger context. I hope I've answered your question. Thank you. Absolutely, sir. Thank you so much. Very helpful. Thank you, Sonal, for asking your question. We have Abhishek next. Abhishek, welcome to Clubhouse. If you could briefly ask your question, but before that, Pramath, would it be okay if we can extend your stay here by another 10 minutes? We do have a lot of questions. Yeah, I'm okay if people are okay and you are okay as hosts. And I'm sorry, maybe I speak, I talk too much, I think. And as you no. grow older, you tend to. So uh, I'm sorry to have taken up too much time. Pramath, we are happy questions. that you are spending this time with us. It's been a riveting conversation and the questions are actually growing. That's why. But very glad and very heartened by um, your ability to stay uh, with us on a Saturday evening. So thank you. And I'll request Abhishek. Abhishek, welcome to Clubhouse. We'll request you to please tell us a little bit about yourself and then shoot your question to Pramath. Yeah, thank you, ma'am, for giving me this opportunity. So I'm an architect by profession and presently I'm a student of Anant Fellowship program at Anant National University. Hello Pramat sir. It's always a great pleasure listening to you and I really like your thoughts like uh, when you presented your analysis of the recent changing times in the education sector and your uh, thoughts on your liberal education and I was really inspired by your tagline uh, when you said anyone can do anything. I have a question for you that when it comes to liberal education it definitely trains students in like leadership, communication, critical thinking and uh, collaborative working skills but when we as students look for opportunities after our education like each opportunity I think demands some kind of specialization like what piece of advice would you like to offer to a student of liberal education when they are looking for transition to get into something uh, new that they haven't done earlier good to see you here Abhishek a quick thing liberal education doesn't mean that you don't specialize so it just means that you do specialize, but you also build a broader perspective. So if you look at people who are in liberal education programs, they all have a major. You may choose to create your own major. That's the ultimate, right? That's what you want to give every student a choice to do. But the truth is, liberal education doesn't say you get an airy-fairy education which doesn't have any focus. Liberal education says, hey, you must develop a focus. But remember that focus is possibly for a short period of time, because tomorrow you may change your mind. You may want to focus on something else. You may start to be a metallurgical engineer and decide you want to be a computer scientist. And you want to be a computer scientist and start to become a person in business. And so you will need to learn how to specialize and I'll teach you how to specialize in quick order when you need to specialize. But also remember that what will, which will hold you in good stead is the breadth of perspectives that you'll get from a liberal education. So I think it's important to keep that in mind that a liberal education often people assume that it's something very broad and so what does it do for you and where will you fit in i think when you're talking about doing something different precisely it's the breadth and the perspective part that allows you to shift to do something different 
it's the fact that you know how to specialize that you can now specialize in something completely different because you've specialized in something before you studied psychology now you want to do behavioral economics and you can make that shift because you know how to get deep into psychology and you know that it will take a lot for you to shift into behavioral economics but you can do that so i think it gives you that flexibility through the breadth of perspectives and it gives you the focus through the specialization and in that way it's a win win because if you want to work in the sector that you specialized in that's great if you want to switch you are able to do that because you have a broader perspective and more fundamental skills thank you thank you sir thank you abhishek for your question hi lubna welcome hello hello good evening everyone good evening sir should i go ahead with my question yes please uh thank you sir for such an inspiring conversation i had a question for you that a lot of leaders today say that there's been a lot of hue and cry around the mba degree and they're saying a lot of negative things about it but as the founding dean of a business school why do you think we should do an mba and why is it important because i have heard a lot of negative things in somebody who aspires to do it's it doesn't feel right <laughs> i think a lot of people do an mba and regret it because they end up going to programs that don't give you a great education lubna and you feel cheated or you don't get the job that you expected i have a very simple principle as to why you should do an mba unfortunately people do look for what you have studied before they'll give you a job uh, that's the way the world works and the world hasn't quite evolved from that most of the world is like that the mba lubna is the only degree the only formal qualification in the world that allows you to switch from discipline a to discipline b i see my friend kumar sharma who's a journalist here and he's coming up lot people come to isb who are journalists former journalists and now want to go into say marketing there are a lot of people like me who are engineers who are software engineers who only done coding but want to get into consulting there are a lot of people who worked in the army who want to go work in the business world when you are making that kind of switch the mba enables you to do that because now that you have an mba when you go out into the market when you go in for placement when you go to meet a recruiter they look at you as an mba from isb and not whatever you did in the past of course they give some weightage to what you did in the past and they like what you did in the past and they use that but that's the fundamental reason to do the mba we haven't yet invented a different other program that allows you to do that now to the point about why it gets a bad name because like with everything there is such a mad rush to do an mba that there are a lot of fly by night operators some of them do a bad job some colleges are shutting down i would not get distracted by that lubna i would go ahead and do an mba and i would do it from the best possible place that you can get into in terms of getting a good education that's all you need to think about as you think about what to do next i'm done that makes so much of sense thank you so much sir thank you lubna for your question we have kumar sharma next hi kumar welcome to the stage 
I I thank you so much for the chance. I I really enjoyed listening to all this, and I always look forward to listening to Pramod. It's always new learning listening to him. Very briefly, my point is actually a subject which has been very close to Pramod for years now, even at ISB and later as well. See, women have suffered a lot in this time of pandemic actually, and we have all been witness to what we some call deep female recession, as it were. This is despite the shift in focus from time to output. a uh, few hours of impactful work is what matters really but despite that so uh, in terms of you know the new thinking in this how do we restore the balance in this is there anything that he has to say on this in then on this education pramath it will really help if there any thoughts on that thanks so kumar are you talking about the fact that because women are burdened with a lot of the work at home that now during the fact that people are working from home that they are disadvantaged Uh, or that no, the women have been cut from the workforce correct they have been they they opted out uh, in terms of as they say that the uh, uh, female recession or for want of a better term because yes, their, yes. their participation has come down this is despite the shift in focus from time to output it doesn't matter you don't need to be eight hours at work so this is a more female friendly environment because they are good at multitasking also so despite that this challenge has been there so then um, it should be normally not so severe so then how does how do we restore this balance and companies talk of different approaches or something is there anything from when you have you are a domain don in education i really think that we have to force that's maybe the wrong word attract and push more women through our educational institutions i think the imbalance is still very strong in some of the professional disciplines that you see and that's one uh, big step that we need to take but i think that there's a larger issue here and that is really our attitude towards women and the social norms that exist in society mm-hmm. so actually you are fighting that that discrimination still exists in fact we created the vedika scholars program for women mm-hmm. mainly because there is a systematic discrimination that still exists uh, at all levels from a very young age the girl child gets sent to the non english medium local school rather than sending the boy sending her to the english medium school like the brother gets uh, she doesn't get the coaching that the brother gets she gets into a good school but parents don't send her because why should i send a girl to sonipat in haryana it's unsafe you better go to the local school a local college and so on and so forth so i do think that we have to change parents brothers women everybody's attitudes towards women with regard to their participation in the workforce and of course most importantly employers at harappa my co-founder and i make a very special attempt to make sure that we are gender balanced not just as an aggregate but in the top team in the ranks and i think that's what we all need to commit to drive if we did that i think you will start to see a change but that's the movement uh, and it's almost like saying we need to create the feminist movement again but i do think it is that that the workplace it hasn't really taken root as it should have okay so it becomes a longer journey now okay right thanks thanks pramod thanks so much for this chance monica Thank you, Kumar, for your question. Hi, Amit. Welcome to Clubhouse. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and then shoot your question. Yeah, hi, ma'am. And I work for ISB only. And like, my question is is with regards to motivation. That how do you really inculcate the value of motiv- motivation in a child? Like when when he or she is at a very young age, and they look at the people around them and they find them that they are 
these people are smarter than them or they are good at academics so they carry this complex all their life that so like how do you uh, inculcate the value that they can also do it and as as sir just said that that you cannot do just everything in life but you can do something in a better way so i hope you got the gist of the question yes amit i let me yeah it's very simple on one hand but our society and our education system doesn't allow you to implement the simple idea i think people should be allowed choice and the best thing you can do as a parent or an elder is to encourage a child to do one thing that they really enjoy doing what has actually happened in our world is that because of the very strong focus on marks and exams and outcomes that we have killed all the possible choices that a kid would like to exercise and i think encouraging them to do one thing however indulgent that is that actually helps them whether it is reading or dancing or drama or doing some work in the neighborhood or doing something not playing video games i think something one thing we should encourage kids to do that one thing will give them that motivation when it is completely self motivated it is coming out of a volition not because people are saying that they should be doing coding and i think that needs to continue throughout your life i think people are motivated and people are in a flow and people are in a zone and people enjoy what they are doing when they are doing something that is truly their choice and we have to create the atmosphere that at least one piece one part of their day one piece of their life allows them to really focus on what they really want to do because there are enough times in our life that we are going to be forced to do things that we don't like we need to have that one or two things that you can pursue and that really builds your character the confidence and the ability to go out and do whatever you want over time in life that's how i would answer yeah. that question a little yeah so like i just have a follow up question to that like for example in getting into the institutions in this country i remember when i first saw you it was at isb only and you were uh, with rajat gupta sir in 2019 i was a student at tiss at that time now getting into institutions like tiss jnu iim even isb as a matter of fact is very difficult but then a lot of people who don't get in they carry this complex in their life forever and they feel that just because they have not made it into an institution they cannot do anything i have seen people like that Right. and the question that i asked like to you was with regards to that only that it starts building up at a very early age and yes so so amit if, if i may that... if i may yeah on that one amit i may tell you that there is a simple mantra that i follow i am no expert on this and i am not a great sort of thinker about this subject but all i can tell you that one thing that works really well for me is the mantra that you don't have to be the best in the world if you just take change the word into for and say what can i do that is best for the world that makes me best for the world right it takes the pressure of competing and always coming first or always getting into isb or tis because there is something out there that is right for you which allows you to make a contribution that allows you to make yourself shine allows you a sense of achievement and success and i think that's what people need to start thinking about rather than saying because amit is doing this i need to do that because everybody is going to isb i need to go to isb all of us i wanted to go to stanford university i was never good enough to get into stanford i wanted to go to mit when i came out of college i wasn't good enough to get into mit what am i good enough for 
let me go and find that for that I'm the best for. I'm best for education. By the way, I'm not a very successful business entrepreneur. Hopefully, I'll make a success out of Harappa. But I've realized over time that something in my DNA works very well with education. So other people may be making a lot of money and becoming billionaires, but I don't need to do that. I'm very happy creating educational institutions and helping people get a better education. That's the best for me. And that's how I am best for the world if I am not the best in a particular area. So I think that's a very important mindset shift that people need to make if you want to get out of this social comparison that often adds insecurity and makes it difficult for us. Well said, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amit, for your question. Bipul, hi, welcome. Please ask your question to Pramath. Yeah, hello, ma'am. Thank you so much, ma'am. And hello, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for uh, providing me this opportunity. Sir, I would like to ask a question just like in the recent scenario from COVID-19, we have seen a digital divide between urban India and rural India. So providing the quality content to the to that segment of population, which is not still they are not well connected to the digital communication channels. So what can be done here to provide them quality content? Bipul, uh, very good question and very relevant. I think over time, you will see that digital divide getting getting bridged. Bandwidth is very rapidly reaching the inner parts of the country. I think we have to get devices to people. Some people have cell phones, but not everybody has smartphones. They still cannot afford it and so on. But I think over a period of time, you will see that improve. And that's my hope. I have seen that happen very rapidly. And people, the other thing to keep in mind is compared to what? Classrooms to we have not able to get the classrooms there. So there is already a classroom divide. There is already a faculty divide, a teacher divide, right? Because we haven't been successful in bringing the old model of education and content to them. So I think at least we have a chance with technology to bring it to them. The divide definitely exists. You are absolutely right. And it has been, in fact, shown that during a time of pandemic, it has become worse because people have no other way to reach to content and education. But I think we have to believe in the future and be optimistic that divide will slowly get bridged because with every day, internet penetration and smartphone penetration and device penetration is growing. Yeah, I wanted to ask about like the... In a state like Bihar, there are around 10 lakhs Jivika self-help groups. And there are only, I mean, 45,000 45, villages. And other states also, they have the same kind of data. So I was asking how we can use Jivika to provide the quality content to the rural population of... So Bipul, I have not thought about this. So you are uh, putting me on the spot a little bit. But I'm familiar with self-help groups. And uh, self-help groups are already educating, say, other women in how to manage finances or manage funds or create employment opportunities or entrepreneurial opportunities for their families and so on. I think self-help groups haven't so far focused on education. In fact, I've done a lot of work with Pradhan and I've always encouraged them to move into that space. They've been hesitant to move into that space. But I think that distribution system already provides the medium to get into education. How do we get content to them? I think by 
possibly getting them devices that they can access content on i think by you can't get them to read so setting them books won't make sense but all i can think of right now is that ultimately getting smart devices through which we can communicate to them or bring teachers into them uh, into their rooms without physically getting them there is the only way i can think of right now on the spot of how to get content to them i think that's the only hope oh that's great sir thank you so much sir thank you bipul for your question and last question but not the least is to vrinda vrinda welcome uh thank you so much ma'am and thank you all the moderators for conducting such an enriching session and thank you pramit sir for taking out time this so, is sir my question is that today there is so much awareness about personal finance and stock market and how essential it is for one but i feel that it is really restricted in the sense that the content is limited to a very few people and i personally feel that the rural population should also be brought in this ecosystem uh because currently if anybody in that system is even saving money they are putting in their bank which is essentially that they are losing their money right now so if one were to solve this problem what do you think one should target at uh shall they be targeting the students at k12 level or shall they be targeting the adults in this uh population Oh boy uh, <laughs> you are putting me uh into areas that i have no idea about but my guess I'm is sorry. that you need to do both no that's okay vrinda it's uh, that's why we are all here the little that i know vrinda would suggest to me that you do need to educate at both levels you need to get to the young people and make them aware of the value of money the value of managing finances and to start thinking about how do you build a successful financial career over time in fact many of us learn them learn these things from Hi everyone. Hi Monica. Is it just me who? The other is that with I think you need to educate the older folks as well. In fact, self-help groups actually do that, Vrinda, right? Because they actually go to the women and say, "Listen, you can manage finances for your family much better, and you can manage it by becoming part of this group and making a commitment to contribute a little bit every month, and then managing this by." giving it out to some people and earning an interest on it and so on so i think you have to do how you do it uh, i think is something that i am not an expert on but i think there are multiple ways to do that but i agree with you i think this is uh, financial security of people at the lowest socio economic strata in our country is extremely important uh, the little money that they are making how can we make sure that they get adequate and better than average returns from that would be a huge difference to make and you highlighted a very important issue unfortunately that's the best i can come up with right now thank you so much no thank you so much uh, was uh, really enlightening
Thank you so much, everyone. These questions were very, very deep and insightful in themselves. So I've learned a lot and I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Pratish, Mushir and Monica. You're doing a great job. And thank you, everyone who attended. Hey, Pratish, are you able to unmute? Yes, I am. Thank you, Pramath. This is very enriching and thank you for your time. I know we ran 22 minutes ahead of our schedule, but again, every time you come on stage or speak anywhere, we always learn. We really hope, look forward to making Harap an equal or bigger success than ISB and, and Shoka because I think it's very critical for our way we think and how we conduct ourselves individually as in, as in groups. So we really hope that you come back in a further discussion, probably in six months or a year's time, so where we can talk further talk about Harappa and how it has impacted the last, last few years of its engagement. So thank you very much once again. I hope to see you again. And thank you everybody who joined in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as we all did. And uh, if you're not following the club, do so just by clicking on the greenhouse button on the top, the Asian Digital Supermovers Club. And we are going to bring another set of OG, as we call um, them, experts, founders, and uh, investors from the Asian ecosystem with Monica, Mushir, and me. So thank you very much. We'll be closing the room in the next 10 seconds.